It's 6 p.m. and you're tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM, Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, June 26, and this is the KVMR Evening News. I'm Julia Jem. Just north of San Francisco, residents gather on the sidewalk to protest the development of 74 affordable apartments on a one-acre lot, something that locals say will further congest their already narrow streets. The California Report seeks to learn more. Then, National Native News reports on a complicated legal situation involving Native American activists and a lithium mine company. And after a look at local news and weather, KVMR's Felton Pruitt talks with an assistant chief for CAL FIRE about 2023's burn permit suspension, which starts today. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. California's state budget has to be approved by July 1st, but some California child care providers say they may be forced to shut down if they don't get more financial help from the state, which so far isn't in the budget still being negotiated. Cal Matters reporter Jeannie Kwong has more. California lawmakers want $1 billion worth of raises for child care providers, but Governor Newsom has yet to commit to an ongoing increase. That funding is one of the key differences left between Newsom and the legislature as they approach the budget deadline, while also trying to fill a deficit. Child care providers are independent business owners, but many get payments from the state to care for low-income families' kids. Many say those payments are barely enough to keep their businesses afloat. I talked to one home daycare owner in Imperial County who said after paying her staff, she only makes the equivalent of 3 or $4 an hour. The majority of these workers are women of color. In addition to the budget deadline, things are also reaching a tipping point because the child care provider's union contract expires at the end of June. That was CalMatters Jeannie Kwong. Support for the California Report comes from Guideline. Their automated 401k plans can be set up in 20 minutes. More at guideline.com CA. Guideline, the California way to 401k. The California Healthcare Foundation, listening to Black Californians, a new study on how the healthcare system undermines their pursuit of good health. On the web at chcf.org backslash lbca. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. A 2017 state law to streamline new housing construction and override neighborhood opposition has been hailed as one of the most successful instruments in the state's toolkit to help solve California's housing crisis. But this well-intentioned legislation is producing some unintended consequences for a small and underserved community in one of the richest counties in the state. My California Report co-host Mani Bolaños has more. About 10 residents rally on the sidewalk near the Highway 101 exit in Marin City. It's the only way in and out of the small, unincorporated community tucked near the Richardson Bay in wealthy Marin County, just north of San Francisco. That's where developers want to build 74 affordable apartments on a one-acre lot. Elizabeth Talley was born and raised in Marin City. She says the new development will create more congestion on the neighborhood's narrow streets. No one talked to anybody in the community about this project. They just made the decision, and even when there was opposition, they continued on with more plans. That's because the developer filed this under SB 35. 
The law allows for developers to get streamlined approval of certain projects in exchange for building affordable housing units in cities or counties that have failed to meet state housing targets. Berkeley's Turner Center estimates that in the first four years, 13,000 housing units have been constructed under SB 35. Nearly 70 percent of those were considered affordable to those earning below 80 percent average median income. Abram Diaz is the policy director for the Nonprofit Housing Association in Northern California, a co-sponsor of the bill. We recognize there's obviously complexities at the local level and project by project. At the same time, universally, where we need more units The tool has been an extreme help to the state, and without it, it would be tens of thousands of units short. But Marin City residents argue the area carries the brunt of affordable housing in the county. And unlike the rest of Marin County, which is predominantly white, Marin City has nearly two-thirds people of color. You know, my parents came from Mississippi to work in the shipyards in 1942. So they were some of the very first settlers in Marin City. That's Betty Hodges, founder of the Marin City Community Development Corporation and a member of Save Our City, a group of residents against the housing development. Hodges' parents were a part of a migration of African-Americans from southern states looking for work. Like her parents, they moved to Marin City to work building warships for the U.S. during World War II. In those years, racist covenants prevented African-American families from leasing or buying property in most of Marin County. So Marin City became home for low-income Black residents in the county. Hodges says she's never opposed affordable housing, but she wants to see wealthier parts of the county build their share, too. And the reason it becomes so important is Marin City is probably almost totally built out. And ironically, the so-called affordable housing may not be affordable for Marin City residents at all. In accordance with SB 35, the developer has to make a certain number of units available to households making 80 percent of Marin County's median household income. But that's significantly more than the average income for Marin City residents. Save Our City says they've communicated these concerns to the Marin County Board of Supervisors, but the county has maintained that their hands are tied due to SB 35. Still, the board approved $40 million in tax-exempt bonds to help finance the project, even after pushback from residents. Marilyn Mackle has lived in Marin City for 12 years. She says the decision is hard to take, especially because the Board of Supervisors has a long history of racism. And they treat Marin City like a plantation, and they're the overseers of this plantation. So they don't involve the residents of Marin City in decisions like this. That's why Save Our City is suing the Board of Supervisors to reverse the controversial $40 million. The Board of Supervisors declined to comment on this issue due to the pending litigation. As for SB 35, Mackle says the law should make exemptions for communities like Marin City that already have substantial affordable housing and environmental risks. For the California Report, I'm Madi Bolaños in Marin City. And finally, over the weekend, hundreds of lowrider car enthusiasts gathered on the state capitol mall in Sacramento to show off their rolling works of art and celebrate what they called California's first lowrider holiday. Lowriders are having a public policy moment as cities across the state in decades-old bans on lowrider cruising. Sal Herrera, who's with one lowrider club in Sacramento, told ABC 10, we went from being harassed to now we're being accepted.
And that is the California Report for Monday, June 26th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day out there. Native American activists and environmentalists have voiced concern over the proposed construction of a lithium mine in Nevada, which has resulted in the mine company filing a lawsuit against them. Coming up, National Native News covers the legal details, protests from several involved tribes, and more. This is National Native News. I'm Jill Freitas from KMBA in Anchorage, Alaska, filling in for Antonia Gonzalez. One of the biggest casino resorts in North America has officially opened in Toronto, Canada's biggest city. And as Dan Karpinchuk reports, while some may be thrilled about the resort, it's not sitting well with at least one First Nation in Ontario. The Great Canadian Casino Resort Toronto boasts 4,800 slot machines, nearly 150 live table games, and sports betting kiosks. In addition, there's a 400-room hotel, and in coming months, it will open a 5,000-person entertainment venue that could host live music and sports events. The cost for all of this, $1 billion. The problem, however, according to Kelly LaRocca, chief of the Mississaugas of Scugog Island First Nation, northeast of Toronto, is that it will drain critical funding away from her band's casino. In 2016, the band signed a revenue-sharing agreement with the Ontario government. Since that deal was signed, two smaller casinos opened and now the mega-facility in Toronto, and LaRocca says that's a deal-breaker. It is the economic uh, foundation and lifeblood of our community. The Ford government broke their word to our community. Honour your commitments. Honour your word. LaRocca says her band's casino has brought clean drinking water, enhanced health care and education. All that is now at risk. Other Indigenous communities that operate casinos are also concerned and see the mega-casino as an existential threat. The band is set to enter mediation with the province, and if that doesn't work... It could come down to legal action. For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. A lithium mine company has filed a lawsuit against Native Americans organizing to stop construction of the Thacker Pass mine in Nevada. The mine would supply a core material needed to power a new fleet of electric vehicles in the U.S., but Native American activists say it will pollute the land and nearby communities. Christina Anastead reports. It's a kind of slap lawsuit, strategic lawsuit against public participation that aims to ban Native American protesters and environmentalists from the area and force them to pay monetary damages, which could total millions of dollars. Critics say it's an attempt to thwart protected First Amendment rights to protest. But some Native American tribes say the mine at Thacker Pass will harm wildlife habitats, degrade groundwater, and pollute the air. They call the mine green colonialism. Duranda Hankey is a member of the Fort McDermott Paiute and Shoshone tribe and a leader of a group known as People of Red Mountain. She says it's also located at the site where the U.S. Cavalry massacred her ancestors in 1865. It's going to directly affect my people, my culture, my religion, my traditions. Um, it's literally desecrating um, a massacre site of my people. And I'm worried that these environmental issues and these cultural issues are directly going to affect my children, the children after that, and children after that. 
And to me, that's cultural genocide. A federal court will consider a challenge to the mine later this month after two years of protests. The Biden administration supports the mine. The lithium could be used to power a new fleet of electric vehicles that would be half of U.S. car sales by 2030. The project also has support of some leaders of Hinkie's tribe who point to the promise of jobs and development on the reservation where unemployment is above the national average. I'm Christina Onestead reporting for National Native News. The grand opening of a new skate park will take place on the land of Standing Rock Tuesday afternoon. The gift to the Standing Rock community was made possible by Jeff Immense organization, Montana Pool Service, and Nike. To date, his charitable foundation has built more than 30 world-class skate parks in rural, isolated communities in Montana and surrounding states, including across Indian country. I'm Jill Freitas. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Is your tank empty? There's another gas you should be worried about. Carbon monoxide can kill in minutes. But you can stay safe by placing CO alarms in your home. Support by the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. Ready to start, manage, or grow your small business? The U.S. Small Business Administration can help with advice and resources. See what SBA can do for you. Go to sba.gov start. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. In regional news... A media release from the Beale Air Force Base announced that a scheduled prescribed burn was set to occur on its land today, June 26 of 2023. More specifically, it took place at the EOD range near Main Base for a total of 249 acres. Smoke was expected to be visible in surrounding communities from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., though you may still see some now and into the night. The intention of this prescribed burn was to reduce hazardous and flammable fuels, Burn operations only begin when areas come within prescriptive levels that meet the objectives of the prescribed fire plan, and the Air Force will only initiate the burns with favorable weather conditions, taking into consideration things like humidity, temperature, wind speed and direction, and moisture in the vegetation. Beale's air quality manager and wildland fire and fuel specialist both work diligently with Feather River Air Quality Management Districts to minimize smoke impacts to nearby residents. Also, according to the Nevada County Office of Emergency Services, a quick reminder that the South Yuba River Corridor Burn Ban takes effect for the 2023 fire season beginning today. The ban will continue through summer and fall until Cal Fire lifts the burn suspension, which generally happens after the first rains or when fire is no longer deemed a significant threat due to seasonal changes. Turning now to a look at the regional weather forecast from the National Weather Service. In Grass Valley and Nevada City, Tonight, mostly clear with a low around 54. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 79. Tuesday night, mostly clear with a low around 56. For Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 41. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 70. Tuesday night, mostly clear with a low around 43. And for Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight, mostly clear with a low around 56. 
Tuesday, sunny with a high near 86. Tuesday night, clear with a low around 57. The National Weather Service is also announcing that major heat conditions are expected to develop across the state late into the week. Dry conditions, except for a slight chance of showers and thunderstorms over the mountains, are likely now and early this week, while drier conditions and hot weather are set to return by the middle of the week, becoming increasingly hot for the 4th of July holiday weekend. It will be the first major heat wave of the season, with ensembles and clusters favoring the eastern Pacific, building across NorCal and suppressing the marine layer and delta breeze. Given the unseasonably mild weather of the past few weeks, the switch to hot weather is going to be especially brutal, as highs jump from 5 to 10 degrees below average early this week to 10 to 15 degrees above average over the weekend. Hottest portions of the Central Valley can expect to see highs around 110, with overnight lows also being significantly warmer. The northern half of the Sacramento Valley and foothill thermal belts are likely to see minimum temperatures only in the 70s. Heat risk, which has been minor recently, is forecast to jump into moderate to high categories Friday and over the weekend, so people should be aware of the upcoming change in weather and plan accordingly. But remember, even with the heat, it's still advised that you stay out of our icy cold, fast-moving local rivers and streams, which are dangerous in nature due to high volumes of snowmelt. And currently, there are no red flag warnings or fire weather watches. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Beginning today, the South Yuba River Corridor Burn Ban takes effect for the 2023 fire season. The purpose of the burn ban is to mitigate severe high fire risk from human-caused fires. Up next, KVMR's Felton Pruitt speaks with Landon Hack, an assistant chief for CAL FIRE, to learn more. We're talking with Landon Hack. He's the assistant chief for CAL FIRE North Division Operations of Nevada, Yuba, and Placer Counties. And we're going to talk a little bit about the suspension of burn permits. Yes. So I guess they kind of got suspended for a few days earlier in the month, but they all are permanently suspended for the rest of the fire season beginning Monday, June 26, which is today. Correct. So that would be all the residential burning permits that we issue. It's the declaration of fire season. This year we've been able to allow because of the the rain and the storm systems and the very extremely wet weather that we had uh, through the winter that I'm sure everybody is aware of, we were able to allow burning longer than we have any time in the recent past for sure. It went a lot further into what we would call the summer months this year. We tried to allow everybody as much possible time as we could to get their green waste managed and taken care of and yards cleaned up. It's kind of a catch-22 because you want everybody to use burn piles and get rid of all their extra stuff on their property. But then again, you want them to do it safely so that the burn piles don't get away, which we've had a lot of uh, in the month of June. Yeah, there's definitely been some. You know, when you look at the the magnitude of permits that are out there, that's actually a very small percentage of them that are escaping it's a balance because it's a regional wide or at least county wide and for for us up here in Nevada and Yuba County 
kind of a landscape picture, right? So understanding that up in some of the higher elevations, that stuff hasn't had very much time to dry out, but also balancing that down with, you know, South County and the, and the Western portion of the County where that primarily is grass that is definitely um, got to the point where it's receptive to fire. So kind of balancing that out across the entire region and allowing for as much time for folks to take care of their burning needs as long as we can. But as of today now, when we see smoke, we know we call 911 because they're not supposed to be any more burn piles. True. I, I would definitely advocate for trying to get a picture of what it is that's burning before you call 911 so that you have that information. But yes, there will be no more burning permits that are valid after today. Now, I imagine that the Forest Service and other agencies still do some sort of burning somewhere, but uh, the public would be notified of that well ahead of time so that if we saw the smoke, we would know that's a controlled burn. Uh, Yes, typically. So like some examples for us around here, the U.S. Forest Service, uh, BLM, and then we also have Beale Air Force Base down in the valley. And they're under their own kind of set of rules, if you will. They have their different parameters. They are usually very good about making those notifications via social media and the radio stations. And they also notify us when they're going to be doing that so that our emergency uh, dispatch center is aware that that's what's going on there. So no burn permits as of today, no more burn piles as of today. How long does this last into now until it starts raining, I guess? Yeah, typically, there's kind of an old adage that we use in the fall months is two inches of rain with more on the horizon, so to speak. And and that's kind of that general threshold, you know, depending on what the weather predictions are going to be a few weeks out to make that transition back into allowing folks to burn. All right. Well, we've got a long summer ahead of us. We want everybody to be very vigilant. And uh, no more burn piles now. (laughs) Yes, please. We've been talking with Landon Hack. He's the Assistant Chief for CAL FIRE, North Division Operations of Nevada, Yuba, and Placer Counties. Anything else you want the folks to know? Fire season is here, and everybody just needs to, you know, move into that summer mode mentality, have their head on a swivel, be ready for the evacuations, and connecting with those county websites and and everything for the ready set go all the stuff that oes puts out zone haven and knowing what zone they're in so when the code reds come out if they're not signed up for code red get signed up for code red please it's very important and gives you a lot of information of what is actually occurring right now at the given moment we've been talking with landon hack from cal fire and thanks for all the information all right no problem thank you That's our newscast for this Monday, June 26th. Head over to our website, kvmr.org, or subscribe to the KVMR News Podcast to hear more. KVMR gets support from Alpine Aviation since 1990, offering business and personal airplane flights with personalized schedules and destinations, plus local area scenic flights. Located at the Nevada County Airport off Loma Rica Drive, Grass Valley. More information at flyalpine.com and A to Z Hardware Supply and Garden Center, locally owned since 1984. Offering household construction essentials plus April's Garden 
a memorial lawn and garden nursery for all seasons with beekeeping and canning supplies. Ridge Road, Grass Valley. AtoZsupply.com. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. This KVMR evening newscast was produced by Kelly Reese. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Julia Jem. Have a great night.